Hey everybody, welcome to Heterodox Americana. This is a show about thinking outside the box and examining the conventional wisdom that informs how we think and shapes how we see the world around us. The question that we're ultimately trying to get at here is, how do our unexamined ideas impact our ability to thrive as human beings? And it's our intention to unpack some of these ideas, take a fresh heterodox perspective that hopefully leads us somewhere new. My name is Raphael Freeman, and I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Angie Backus, another one of your hosts. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Heterodox Americana. We are here today with Ben Bly, who is a community activist uh, up in Germantown and a few other parts of the city, and has been the eyes and the ears for so many people uh, who weren't able to join the Philadelphia protests. He's been at so many other protests, uh, documenting what's going on, Facebook live streaming. Um, he's also the host of Uptown Social Club on Germantown Radio, and today he's hanging out here with us. Um, and yeah, welcome, Ben. Can you tell us a little bit about just, I don't know, how we came to this moment? Um, yeah, I guess uh, I used to go into Uncle Bobby's, and that's where we first met. And then we started conversing because I like talking. So I do end up just randomly <laughs> meeting people just through, hey, what's up? And then, you know, just conversations while you were behind the bar helping set up and, and helping uh, Uncle Bobby's get established and that kind of stuff. Uh, some of the conversations we would have and then just link up and talk. And then uh, some of the mentoring that you did for me and and that kind of stuff and that's just kind of how we got to this moment now up, yeah you know one of, one of the things that stood out to me I, I think early on had to do with uh the way you were involved with community stuff uh there were a couple projects i think that you were trying to get off the ground uh and there were a couple projects i think that you were consulting other people for uh different uh i think like working with with young black youth in in the city mm-hmm. Uh, how, how did you get to the point where you were doing community-related involvement? Well, I think at uh, at a young young age, I just I really felt that there's always been a need to um, listen to Black people, and uh, and and I think with like there's I don't know how to say I don't want to be like sound weird about myself or anything, but you know, in in some of the white social groups I'm in. I, I guess I'm dynamic in a certain way and I'm always trying to link people to black people, you know? So like one of the things I want to do is establish mentors in black communities by linking like graphic designers and, and almost, and have like a network like that where people can, you know, block out two hours a week or four hours a week where they can mentor somebody and uh, link them up with people that are, are in the community trying to help out uh, uh, black youth that don't have, that come from and live in areas where there aren't a lot of people that have like, you know, powerful jobs, have the ability to, um, you know, have their own business, their own schedule and, and the flexibility of, um, there's not a lot of flexibility when you're poor. You know, you kind of just have to show up, work your time and that kind of stuff and and try to uh, introduce what what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to link people that say they want to do stuff. And a lot of them are at like the parties I attend, you know, there's Chardonnay involved and that kind of stuff. And a lot of socializing. You're you're like a socialite. Yeah. So I'm trying to get those people to actually, you know, I wish there was something I could do to be like there is link up with this person and then tell them next time I see them, like, how did that go? And I realized the difficulty is, um, and trying to do that is there's a lot of handholding because some of these organizers have a GED, they're black and they're really involved in their community. And it's hard to get white people to just reach out, um, to these people in a community that may not have, um, what they think are, they're uncomfortable, I guess is what I, I'm man, saying. I, I get that. People, sometimes they're, they're not comfortable in those spaces. 
I, w- I want to come back to the, the, the hand-holding and the GED stuff, but you were just talking about the way that you're in these, these circles anyway, you're dynamic enough, but also that you, you want to be able, it sounds like to kind of like facilitate, you know, having one side meet the other side. And I guess my question to you is like, why do you even care? Like, why is that a thing for you? I, I think it, it's like, you know, I, I like history. And, and I think um, one of the things that I think people like Robert Kennedy touched on, you know, when he's like, when he would go to Mississippi and he would go be in Harlem and he would go in West Virginia and he, he'd be in poor white areas, poor black areas and all this stuff. And he saw the, um, he saw the need and the commonality of people in in poverty and i feel like the real change will happen people are like why do you care about black people why do you care about that i'm like it's not really about black people it's about the injustice you know what i mean it's Mm -hmm. it's the um the the inequality and and the people that it's affecting happens to be black it's not like i have this deep affection um for black people and i'm like all this stuff which i do i love black people uh and that kind of stuff but it's like the inequality and the injustice is what really has to stop and if white people that are poor want things to change if it can change for black people it'll change for everyone when white people talk about well the police beat us up and do this stuff if we can get police to stop treating black people a certain way it'll change for everyone because if they can resist the urge to stop killing black people and hurting black people it'll make it easier on everyone you know what i mean it's just like if we can change the schools for a predominantly uh black neighborhoods it'll change everything and that if you start from the bottom up right so it sounds like you're saying and i think i agree that if if we can figure out how to protect the most vulnerable people in society, then, then we're actually starting at a place where we can build more, more equity and more equality throughout the rest of society. Is that about right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's how I, that's how I, I think about it. And it's also just, it, it's just bothersome to me because you can't change being black. You know what I mean? And, and that's what, um, like when you go into a job interview when you go into wherever, like there's no way to hide it. I, and like you can, you can go in and, and I, I want equality for everyone, the LGBTQ community, trans and all that kind of, and all the, all these movements need to be equal, but you don't walk in a lesbian. You mean like, you know what I mean? Uh, people may not necessarily perceive that you mean. Yes, exactly. Like, like when a black woman walks into a, a job interview, like, she's a uh, there's no denying that she's a black woman and you know just with the studies and the surveys of like her trying to get a job is going to be much more challenging than it is for anyone else just based on her gender and the color of her skin right and and so i like that's just kind of how i like like if we can lift and empower black women like imagine what that would do for white women and then uh, the woman's I, 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 movement I, I, in general. How, how about we get a white woman's opinion since we have one here? Whoa. Yep. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit what you mean by that, Ben? Can you describe what you think empowering black women um, would do for white women? Well, I feel like it's so like with the patriarchy, like I understand my role. I understand the things that I've gotten despite my background just due to me being a straight white male. Right. And I understand the challenges that are different for my yeah. wife. You know, the, the, uh, the, you know, she's in construction. She was working at an ar- uh, architecture firm. They hated that she had to take time out to uh, pump breast milk and all that kind of stuff. It's a whole thing of like, I don't even understand why you're working. You have a kid, your husband should be doing all the work and you shouldn't even have a job. So like the, like I understand what that looks like just from my perspective. Right. But I, I also have my perspective where if you make changes and you make laws that, uh, and, and 
can enforce these laws that do, like Raphael was saying, cover and make sure the most marginalized people in society are covered. It, that's how it benefits mm-hmm. uh, the entire um, society. So fairness spreads yeah. out then to everyone, right? Th- that's my, yeah. I mean, that's how I've always kind of, um, that's how I always kind of viewed the. Uh, let, let me, let me tackle one of these ideas. Cause you, you just, you just dropped an idea without really explaining it. And uh, that's this idea of patriarchy. Uh, and I, I just want to, I, I want to explore that a little bit and not just take it as gospel. I mean, the way that I understand this idea of patriarchy is that men are running things. Um, but we have people like Speaker Nancy Pelosi. We, you know, we have so many women uh, who are powerful people in the United States. Um, t- tell me how you think it's a patriarchy. Well, I mean, I, I just think I always use myself as an example when in regards to a lot of things. And I feel like just in in my business, like if my wife tried to present herself as a carpenter, or if a woman tried to present herself as a construction worker, like I am, there might be some skepticism from even people that live in Mount Airy or other, whatever that Penn village in West Philly that are uber liberal. Um, <laughs> that, that might be a little skeptical of like, well, I don't know. Why can they really do like they're ingrained yeah, in their head. The same thing what happened with like a male nurse. There's not more just about how people think about gender roles. Well, I mean, but, even the fact I, that we it, say male nurse. Yeah, I mean, I like I, I think we say male nurse. I don't think our kids will say male nurse. Like, you know what I mean? Says female nurse. You know what I mean? Yeah, and 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 I, but but I think like you can call a male nurse a male nurse, but he's gonna be paid like a nurse. Like there's no discrimination in his uh, in his job status. There's still like he's not gonna. Goal there's still an equal pay for women in this country. We still, women haven't caught up to the pay scale um, of men yet. So that's definitely, yeah, yeah, that's part of the system. And I think being uh, like, like let's say a male in a predominantly female field, I don't, this is, I might be wrong about this, but being like, let's say two men to a hundred women, I don't feel like the women or would he would get the same treatment as two women working with a hundred men? Like the like, I feel like the the woman would be more uncomfortable and treated differently. Um, like the the work experience working with ninety eight men would be different than two men working with ninety eight women. I feel like they're a little warmer, not as um. Uh, nurture. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but you know, um, um, just a little antidote. Antidote. Anecdote. Anecdote. <laughs> just an anecdote. Um, I have a friend who is um, stud- she apprenticed to be an electrician, mm-hmm. and um, she was the single only female in this whole apprentice. You know, her apprenticeship. So she was working with all men electricians. Uh, and the stories that she used to tell were phenomenal. I mean, stories that you could probably imagine that would be told if you're the only woman trying to be an apprentice for an electrician. It made her almost quit. I guess there were a few times that she considered quitting. Um, she kept on, and now she's a master electrician. But to your point, um, it was really hard for her to be the only woman in a male-dominated space like that. Um, so I, I'm I'm hearing you on that one, and she could testify to that probably pretty clearly. Probably like you were saying, your wife and the spaces that she goes into as well. So are, are you essentially yeah. I mean, the idea of patriarchy that, that you're talking about? You're are you essentially just talking about the kind of inequality that still exists between men and women in the country? Well, I, I mean, if you if you want my opinion about Nancy Pelosi and the the women high up in government and that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't know how high up you can be to really change things in this system anyway. So I think there's a few crumbs that are given to women, to black people and whatever in politics. But 
Um, I mean, Cindy Bass is our council person here in Germantown and all, but you know, it doesn't, uh, woman, man, black, what, like nothing's really changing anyway. So I feel like, um, you know, I, I try to keep things on like a, a real level where it like affects people I know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I, I feel like Nancy Pelosi and all that kind of, it's in a world I'm not even involved in, but you know, when, when, uh, 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 um, a young black girl is graduating high school, like, and she goes to Drexel, like, it, like the patriarchy is deep. But if her name, you know, it sounds black and she has a black last name, it's going to be harder for her than uh, a, a white woman that has the name, and the white woman's going to have it harder than the man, you know, that's applying for these same jobs and I'm, I'm just trying to keep it like, like it, it might be like a, a law assistant or something like that where it's just like these jobs where you're trying to in a position where you're trying to build up and at some points right now um in the black community it, it's like like for a lot of white people as you're applying to different jobs you're making more money and then eventually in in black communities it's it becomes lateral like there's only a certain amount of black people that go to a certain point, but after a while, it's uh, you're just moving from manager job yeah, to manager like job. Maybe, yeah, exactly. So I think that's what um, that's what you know. And you hear in the '90s about black people. You know, it's like if there was racism, why is there Oprah and Michael Jordan? You know what I mean? It's like that's so, so far. I think this idea of exceptionalism, right? You you take a few people who who are the exception. And it becomes really hard, I think, for people to understand um, those those kind of um, th- those real socioeconomic and sociopolitical constraints. Um, and I mean, the constraints are the constraints are real. Like I, I certainly come from a neighborhood where you know two percent of people who are in who who come from backgrounds like mine get to escape those types of conditions. And those are just horrible numbers. Um, mm-hmm. which kind of, you know, makes me think about what we were talking about privilege, I think at an earlier time. And, you know, I, I know Angie had read Robin D'Angelo's, uh, book, uh, white fragility, which I have not read. And, and so I started I, it. Okay. Uh, but, but yeah, what, when I, you know, I mean, and I had some experiences that make me think about my own privilege, but it, it's like one of these words where I think people, so it's not necessarily it's not necessarily obvious. I, I don't think that um, just because you say privilege, people buy into it. Uh, what was the point for you when it felt like, like this idea of privilege was, was actually a real thing? Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> here's the, if I can expound, I guess, on the white fragility thing in these books, which I've read. Um, I haven't read white fragility, but I've read a lot of the other woke books that white people should be reading so everything in these books the new jim crow i understand that that was written by a black woman and but i guess for me is these but all i everything in these books i've heard black people tell me and i just took their word for it like i didn't need a white woman with whatever degree she has to put it in a book because my friends talked about it and I'm like, I believed them. I wasn't like, Oh, that, what a conspiracy. You know what I mean? Like if they could just work harder, you know, elementary. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, um, you know, like what, what, what frustrates me is with when I have to point out to white people that went to a suburban school and it's like, you don't get, that when you turn 18 and kids that go to public schools in the city turn 18, you're not at the same starting point and you can't even acknowledge that. But like, and it's like those people is they don't want to even acknowledge that, that, that they have, that they got, they want everything to be about themselves, how hard they work. They pulled themselves out up by their bootstraps and all this kind of stuff. And they don't want to hear anything about, um, they might've had some sort of advantage because in their head, like they don't want to acknowledge that their parents provided them a desk to study at, that so their parents provided them with snacks. 
let me let me ask Angie about her her takes on privilege and uh, so you know what do you think and is it real and so on and so forth. Um, I I hear you, Ben, with um, the idea of you you know primarily just listening to black people. That's that is the information that you have um, gained by hearing, um, which I can so appreciate that. I think. Um, you know, it's funny because I don't, I don't have a corner in the market, of course, on all the information that I need to be privy to in, in this uh, really complex issue of race. But um, it's, you know, I, I think I came to kind of dealing with my own, I guess, whiteness, um, somewhat young, I guess, uh, in college and beyond. And it's been a lifelong journey for me. This book, White Fragility, I, was, I wasn't skeptical, but I, I think I was, I read it a couple years ago. In fact, I was trying to read a little bit more today to kind of brush up on it. Um, but I was a bit <clears throat> skeptical around what I thought would be a regurgitation of everything I've heard so far. Um, and then <clears throat> I kind of let myself off that hook and say, I said to myself, well, if, if it is, let me, let me take a look at that. You know, I... It was almost kind of like one of those things where I took this deep breath and I said, well, let me read something that maybe that's been said by a thousand white people um, to try to get them to understand racism. Um, so I, I did, I delved into it. And it was interesting because I think part of it was, um, you know, she's, she's a sociologist. Um, and I think mm -hmm. the way she kind of considers deconstructing race, first of all, so it's not, it's not just, I didn't think the book was just this emotional plea, definitely not. Mm -hmm. She deconstructs race, she talks about privilege, she talks about patriarchy, she talks about um, white women and black women, points out, you know, that, that black women didn't even get to vote until 1964, um, mm -hmm. after white women were able to vote. Um, but I guess I, I was kind of taken with the information, um, in a way that one, I think synthesized, reminded me how to synthesize things. It's not, you know, it's not the gospel on, you know, whiteness or race, but it also, I think, and you know, this book right now, which I didn't know, but it, you can't order it. It's, it's all out. It's all sold out, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. to me. I mean, I think probably, you know, two months ago, there were, copies would have been abounding. And I was reading it today thinking, well, this is kind of a nice place for people to start. If you don't, if you're a white person that has kind of, you know, lived in the suburban bubble or who has mm -hmm. very few um, cross-cultural um, friendships or acquaintances <coughs> or people in your family or whatever. Um, so I guess in terms of that, like it, talking about race, this seems like a good kind of a good place to start if if you need some really basic but deep thought around it that's my opinion hmm. yeah no i th that's everything you just said is is very valid and i um i i agree with you a hundred percent i um i am working on patience and i am like i struggle with a lot of stuff I really do. And um, I think, uh, Wait, did you, I did think you part of, yeah, I'm working on patience. I struggle with a lot of things. And, and I think, um, like, I, I guess, like, my first video killing of a black person was a girl my age, um, Latasha Harlins in like 91. And we were both 15. And then right after that, the, um, the Rodney King riots happened, LA riots or whatever. And I just remember living in an area and then living in facilities and stuff. And like just all the talk about the white guy, like it even struck me all this talk about this white truck driver. I just remember like this white truck driver getting pulled out and seeing it over. Reginald Denny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I remember, I don't even know his name. I just remember, and it really, it really irritated me. And I, it really, and then like with, uh, you know, like, like 
like these people are talking about things like Latasha Harlan's trying to like get in an argument with a store owner who's Korean and gets shot in the back of the head on video camera. And she gets um, 400 hours community service, a $500 fine, and then uh, funeral expenses and uh, two years probation. I was probably, I was 15 at that time. And it's like, um, just the, just thinking like that. And, and what, like I was, it was weird. Like people thought that was weird. Hmm. Like, you know what I mean? And it's just like, I feel like with people my age, I, I'm not necessarily in, and the, the, um, you know, people in the suburbs and that kind of stuff. I, I guess when I'm talking about, I'm talking about people that, that deliberately live in the city and deliberately won't move to the suburbs and they live in areas like Germantown. So they can like, when they go back to their houses, wherever they're from Ohio or they're, you know, they can say they live in these communities, but still aren't, are still processing uh, certain, certain things. And then I have these comments, like self congratulatory people that are like, I didn't really realize how, you know, I had this racist behavior and then um, because they're reading these books and then all the other people are like, yeah, me too. And then they've really had to reflect on that behavior and they've been doing it like this self care thing. And it's like, okay, you know, you are, you've read the books now do something like you're still taking lavender baths. You're still reflecting on the harm of how the trauma you feel of holding that hatred for another race that you thought you loved and you're so, dealing. So it's like, like they make it about them. Yeah. It's like, dude, like imagine the trauma of being black. You're turning this whole thing of like, like you can't believe the realizing this stuff about yourself. It's brought so much. It's like, okay, process it and do something. Like the only way to work through that stuff is by helping the people that you're having these weird feelings about not keeping the, like, like it's not picking up an Eckhart Tolle book. It's not picking up all this other stuff and going in until you're fine and you're at some peace with yourself, which may be five to 10 years from now, who knows how long it takes people to be comfortable in their own skin uh, and all that kind of stuff. I'm still not, but it, it doesn't matter. So I think that's what I, that's, that's what I'm saying is about the frustration with these books people are learning stuff and they've learned all this information but their behavior is still the same so i you know I what mean, i mean i agree like, you, you can't eat pray love your way to uh to feeling better but um but but even this idea of taking in the information and then having to struggle with it and then make yourself feel better without doing any substantive change uh or without becoming part of the solution it still seems like their their worlds are just revolving around them. Yes, exactly. That's my take on it. And then when God for you, you get these people together, and they're both reading the same stuff, and it's like this um, this like fishing out of each other. All this like you know them like getting vulnerable about their toxic behavior is somehow like this great. Thing and there's no real talk ab about solution. You know what I mean? There's no real talk. Like when you ask, when people ask me all the time about people and I direct them, uh, you know, to Pastor Carl Day, Ryan Harris with As I Plant the Seed, Victoria with Amir, Every Murder is Real, and all these other community organizers, they never hear from them. You know what I mean? Like all these people like are, are being awakened by these books, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what knowledge you have in your head if it doesn't turn into action. It's completely useless. Like reading that book is meaningless if it's followed, if it's not followed with any action. It's just a book that stayed in your brain and you know it. And there's there's nothing else but just a book inside your brain. Hey Ben, I, I have a question for you. Um, I agree that the action, you know, I thought it was kind of funny what you talked about in terms of lavender baths. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I am thinking about, and I don't, you know, I know that, that um, 
I think you grew up in Philly, right? Didn't you grow up in Philadelphia? No, I grew up in uh, Lancaster County. In Lancaster County. Um, yeah. So I'm. That's why I was kind of saying about the white guy, like the out there, the right, white right, guy right. getting pulled out of the truck was a huge deal. Yeah, I'm thinking about like even just what this show does. It it helps. What you know, what we say is we're trying to do this outside of the box thinking to get people to think of something new and to thrive. Um, and I'm thinking about the people that perhaps are listening, maybe, you know, white people or white women um, who, and I think this whole thing with um, George Floyd certainly has, you know, Raphael was saying last week has um, let the genie out of the bottle. We can't put it back now. Mm -hmm. um, and it sounds to me, perhaps, maybe, for the first time, that people are starting to grapple with this in ways that they've never even considered that they had to grapple with it. Um, it's waking people up to something that perhaps they've never even thought of, because white people, as you know, don't really have to until they have to, or until they want to. Um, Correct. I was thinking about something like this, you know, this book. Um, and I, I'm hearing you, you know, that, you know, what, perhaps white people getting together and then having a, um, a session where they talk about how sad this is and how hard things are and that they just kind of stay in their own sense of, aren't we so, we're so aware now and aren't we good that we're those people that kind of know what's going on but not do anything about it. I, I'm hearing that piece. But what about those people that are just starting? Like, you know, I think about white people that are just starting to look at this in ways that we've needed people to look at forever. Um, and what would you consider their beginning place for, to be? Like, how, how would you even broach something like that? Well, I, I mean, I, I base everything on age. Ah. So I'll give you more leniency the younger you are if you're white. But if you're my age and white and you're just reading this, like you got less of a time to process and to go into action than an 18 year old white person. Right. Like you've are, you've already used up your adult life, ignoring the problem. Now you understand the problem. Unfortunately, you waited this long to start learning about it. So now you have a shorter window of patience and latitude to start doing stuff. I see. That's my, that's, I'm, I'm kind of broken myself. I'm not saying I'm right or that like my brain functions properly or that it, it's like a, a, a right way of thinking. I'm just giving you an honest perspective of like yeah. when I see a 30 year old, a 20 year old, it's like crossing the street. If I see an 18 year old crossing the street, I'm not going to be as mad if they're acting crazy. But if you're 50 and you're still walking out in front of traffic, acting all crazy and jaywalking in the middle, then I have less patience because it's like, dude, you're 50. You've been crossing streets for 45 years now. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you should know better with your life experience. Yeah. So in your when, opinion, there's really no, is, would you say there's really no excuse? If you, if you get to 50 and you haven't started to grapple with this or you're not doing something significant, in with regard to um, your whiteness, that you're you've been missing the boat for a long time, and you should have gotten busy a long time ago. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying I, I don't expect. I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't expect white people to learn and do something, right? But I expect once the white people that are learning and do and and being like become aware. I'm expecting them to do something. There's like tens of millions of white people that we're going to have to fight to actually make change in this country. I'm not expecting them to change. I get it. I'm expecting the people that are reading these books and doing this stuff and sitting in our little clubs that we like to sit in and talk about and pat ourselves on the back because right. so, we don't. So, so the and cultures of the world, you're saying like it, it's not like you're waiting out for her to do anything. It's more yeah. like um, like liberal white people, right? It's the liberals who go to you know uh, East Coast universities and um, 
you know, go to expensive coffee shops and stuff like that and talk about how they want to move in the city or whatever. It's that, that liberal crowd that you're like, so do something. Yeah. It's like, you know, when you go into Ultimo, the people serving me coffee are black and the managers are white. Yeah. That's, that's about it. I say, you know what I mean? Like about federal donuts, federal donuts. Yeah. is uh, it, It's a chicken and donut shop. Chicken here. and waffles. And yeah, Ch- chicken and donuts. Right. And waffles too, I think. Yeah, chicken and donuts. You're right. I think it is just chicken and donuts. Yeah. It, so Federal Donuts, it's a um, it's a chicken and donuts place that's here in Philly. You obviously know Federal Donuts. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I I can't I can't stomach the idea. I mean, I don't care how good their donuts are, how good their chicken is. Every Federal Donuts that I've ever gone into, it's always uh, some chipper white liberal at the um, at you know taking the money and at the at the at the cashier. And it's mm-hmm. always, uh, it's always, every time that I've gone, it's always uh, some Central American, most likely Mexican guy who's like sweating over the, uh, over the fryer. And mm-hmm. I think if I, if I had ever gone in, you know, every now and then I'll pop in to see if that combination ever changes. If it's ever the Mexican guy in the front and a white person in the, over the fryer, but it never is. And yeah. until I see that it's not just that the Mexican people are, are relegated to the role of, I got to fry this hot ass chicken um, over this hot fryer until, uh, until I see some, some kind of, you know, equality around how those rolls get distributed. I'm not eating their donuts. That's just me. Well, yeah, I, st- I stopped eating the donuts too, because Raphael told me that that's what he noticed. I think I've only been once, but after that, I've never gone back either, but mm-hmm. there are other donuts, you know? yeah yeah no and and that's what um it's like uh and and that's like my kind of and and i've actually it's kind of you know i think hanging out with my wife and stuff and and i think like i i i'm trying to think in a way that's less harmful for myself um because i think some of the way i process stuff like some of the things i've said on here is actually harmful because i don't it's kind of isolated me from not really wanting to hang out with people because I, mm-hmm. I get so frustrated mm-hmm. and so agitated and angry with people where it's like, if we have, if we, if I walk into a place and I'm driving there and I'm in my head thinking, if we have this conversation again, I swear, like I'm gonna, like I might smash a window or if someone talks to me about this, like, if someone asks me what can I do, I, I'm going to be like, it's the same fucking thing I said last time. And, you know, and it, it's like, it's not going to end well. And then best, like, you know, you need to come up with better ways. I look unintelligent and I look reactionary and I leave these things like, you know, feeling shame. I was like, I could have handled it better and that kind of stuff. So it does. I'm not saying the way I think is healthy and it does, it, it provides me some inner problems and it's actually affecting me where like, I kind of don't, I don't want to hang out um, with certain people. And I don't like when Trump was elected, I was like, I think this is the opera. Like this might be what the country needs to get you guys off your butts. Like with the women's wow. March, with the men's March, like this is finally like it seems like actually I'm like this could be one of the best things that ends up happening because you guys it's affecting you right there you know he's talking he's not talking about grabbing a a black woman by her vagina you know what I mean like like you know all this stuff and 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 men you know the, the 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 same thing it's like we're like the things he's talking about are keeping uh, certain, 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 uh, a, a lot of the things like as like the making America great again, it's keeping the things the same as going back. So, so to, I, um, I, I said, so I said something similar about uh, Donald Trump, especially to my liberal friends. Uh, Cause when we think about whatever the status quo has been, I mean, I think a lot of people have this idea that, um, that you know policies have 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 been doing like really good things for black people and uh, you know i wouldn't dismiss that out of hand it really kind of depends on on what we're talking about um Mm -hmm. 
but some of those real material conditions, let's say something like uh, like real household wealth, uh, you know, adjusted for inflation, like that hasn't really mm-hmm. changed for the the median black family since the 1950s. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and there are lots of, you know, home ownership is down. There are lots of things that seem like they're, they're better, but they're, they're not actually, and some things are better, right? So don't get me wrong. But I think for so many people, the material conditions, uh, since they didn't change under Bill Clinton, since they didn't really fluctuate all, I mean, a Bill Clinton's welfare work, um, you know, I think for some people, when you look at like transfer payments, uh, that their conditions actually got worse. And so, um, mm-hmm. while it might, well, there's a sense of loyalty, I think, for so many Blacks to to the kind of Democratic Party, whether or not their material conditions actually change in, in those um, in those circumstances uh, and get substantially better, that, that, that's more up for debate. So there were lots of, um, I think there were lots of Black people that I knew who kind of had a, what you might consider an, uh, like a symbolic fear uh, of what Donald Trump might do, but I, I don't. I don't think. I, mean, I certainly don't know anyone who was so shaken to the core uh, after the election results came in, except really liberal whites. And if I'm going to be completely honest, liberal white women, right? They they were like, "Oh my God, our, our paradigm might actually shift." And mm-hmm. I think to your point, um, it was like, "Oh, oh, now we're going to be affected too." Yeah, I was um I was considering what was happening. I think I I Rafael, I, I kind of put forth this idea um by you. I don't know what you guys think of this. Is that the time in history that we're in right now, um, with Trump at the helm, um, and being so outside of the status quo that it was ripe for um what happened uh, recently with um you know, of course, there were a lot of things. There was coronavirus, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the whole thing that got sparked by um, George Floyd. But I was thinking if we would have had this very business as usual um, person up there, uh, that it would have been business as usual. Not quite. I mean, I can't predict this. I don't know. But, you know, we would have had to look at things the way we're looking at things still. But he's been so erratic and things have been so shaken up that it kind of almost allowed the system to fall in a particular way to kind of get this this movement that was so so force for so forceful and i was thinking well how, what would have been like had we had this like you know even status quo politician up there saying all the things that politicians say i mean maybe we wouldn't have even had you know, the shakeup that we, we have been trying to have and to this degree. I don't know what you think of that or you, Ben. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm a structuralist. So I, you know, Donald, Donald Trump is, is interesting in the way that he challenges the structure. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily convinced that, uh, that any, anything would have gone any differently if, um, if Hillary Clinton would have won. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's, I, I think it is, uh, I think as far as optics, it would have been a lot different. I mean, like some of the things, like, I guess, just from stuff that's as little and seems petty as him in a big speech on the 4th of July talking about the airports and the American revolution, Mm. um, that kind of stuff. So, you know, all the way up to the other stuff is, it just shows a complete lack of any real, um, leadership knowledge and leadership about things like, like, you know, if a 10 year old's teleprompter broke during a speech, I don't think a 10 year old would go off and talk about, the American Revolution airports because they know there weren't airplanes until the 1900s. Probably they learned about Kitty Hawk. You know what I mean? So I, it's it's just like that kind of stuff that we forget about, but is so common and, and has become accepted in this presidency. But I think the oh, go ahead. 
Yeah, let me ask you, did, do you happen to see this Dave Chappelle 846, 8 minutes 46 seconds thing? Oh, no, I, I haven't. Well, I mean, I, I really only want to talk about one point uh, about that. He was talking about um, the need for celebrities to take a back seat and let mm-hmm. the young people who are out in the streets, let them um, actually go ahead and take the lead because this is their time. And when I, when I think about this moment with regard to that, um, compared to, let's say, you know, when the decision had come down uh, for those police in, in Simi Valley that set off the, the LA riots uh, after Rodney <clears throat> King was assaulted and nearly died. Um, and, you know, if I compare these two moments, we, we, we saw, I think, the public outrage, especially by Black people. Uh, we saw mm-hmm. the public outrage um, happen in LA. And I think if you were to compare that moment to this moment, there are a couple of things that have changed. There are a couple of things that are really mm-hmm. different. And so, you know, for, for somebody who was, you know, I was in high school uh, when that happened, I was reading, um, now I was reading like a lot of Afrocentric books, uh, books that I, I say would probably have questionable rigor um, I, I think that some of them were written by academics, but it was, um, I think they weren't well peer reviewed and uh, it, they were in an echo chamber. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because, you know, lots of the kids who grew up reading that stuff, they all went and got PhDs and they learned the rigor and then they became organizers. And when we look at the organizing that had already started to happen, uh, people were, I mean, they already had had lots of organizational skills. And then we have mm-hmm. a technology um, addition as well. You know, the ability to tweet, the ability to, to do Instagram and, and, and Facebook and all these things and mobile phones, all that. Um, and, and I think a, a critical difference, one of the reasons that I don't think um, that somebody, that, that it didn't need to be Donald Trump is partly I don't want to attribute it to him and really mm-hmm. take away from the work that all these organizers have done. Um, because I think they, one, their critical lens, their, their, their scholarship, their rigor, but also their real kind of material organizing of other people out in the streets. I think that's what made the bigger difference. And I think that would have happened at this organizational level, no matter who was in charge. That's a great point. And yeah, mm-hmm. I want to attribute to Donald Trump. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, Listen, and, and I, b- before we wrap up, I, I, I just want to get a sense of, you know, so, you know, we're here in Philly and, you know, Philly is one of these cities that it, it's in a, a pivotal moment and you're in a pivotal section of the city. Um, and you're out here, man, you, you out in these streets. Um, what is some of, of the legacy or what is some of you, what, what are some of the things that you want to leave behind both here for, for the city and also for the peers, for your peers and for, for young people? Um, and I, I think, um, I, I, I think for me, it's like, uh, I, I don't like, I think to touch on what Angie was saying earlier is just like, and why I'm so passionate about and, and people taking action is I, I'm so I want to hold people accountable because I'm so afraid of this moment leaving, and I feel like we've had the best opportunity. I'm 44 years old, probably in my lifetime, for any actual change to happen. And um, so I, I think I want like that's one thing. Like I think for my kids, and my I want my kids to see that you can't like you can't let up. Uh, on the brakes, like you, you can't stop. You can't pump the brakes. I don't want my kids to talk about my carpentry skills, my woodworking skills and the stuff I built. You know, I want my kids to realize like when I heard a 14 year old speak today at the March, um, I came home and I was like, there's this thing. She's with the Philadelphia student union. And I want my daughter, like I told her, I was like, you have to join this. You have to join this movement. Like, you we got to get these cops out of these schools and they need your help and you need to go there and you need to keep your mouth shut and they're going to tell you what to do and how you can be supportive mm-hmm. and this is what your next thing is is going to do because they need people in places 
that you're in that have no issues with the police and the police won't do anything to you. You know what I mean? And that's the, they, that's, that's the charge then. It's, it's for the, as you were saying before, that it's for this generation up and coming. They've got, they have now a great opportunity to lead the way, to have the voice and change all of this, right? And we're, yeah, and we're, we're charging them with that. It sounds like that's what you're doing with your daughter. You have to do this. You've got to get out there. Yeah, we got to be the examples yeah. that the boomers weren't for us. We got to learn from those mistakes because, you know, I tell people, you think it's bad now. Wait, if we wait another 40 years and we'll be begging for them just to be burning down buildings because another 40 years of trauma, it's only going to get worse. Yeah. You know, we got to seize these opportunities and we're at a fork in the road where we really have an opportunity to make real change conversations, realistic conversations of defunding the police, changing systematic stuff that's oppressing people, opportunities of giving black people housing, um, you know, that's in their communities that when black people were trying to buy houses and white people were leaving due to white, it tanked the whole economy and any chance right. and ability to accumulate any wealth. Right. You know what I mean? And we're having these real conversations and I want the conversation and us feeling awkward about our white fragility to, I don't want my kids <laughs> to feel any awkwardness talking to black people or taking commands from black people, or I don't care if they have a doctorate from Cornell if there's a, a, a black man or woman with a GED that's putting in work in the community, you shut your mouth right, they can listen and you them. help them. Exactly. Yeah. Listen, man, I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to, to do this with us uh, and really bring some fresh ideas to, to heterodox uh, Americana to our audience. Um, so just thanks so much. I, I'd love to have you on again. Um, spin, spin up a, another conversation and go off in another direction. Uh, but thanks for hanging out with us today. Yeah, Ben, thank you. Yeah, no problem. I love you guys and um, and anything you need and all that kind of stuff. You know, I really appreciate the time and work uh, uh, you, that you've helped me out with, um, Raphael, and, and just having uh, an ability to kind of look at myself in a different way Word. And, and that kind of stuff. So I appreciate all your support. Listen, I and appreciate help. you too. Um, All right, we'll talk soon, man. All right. All right, peace. All right, love you guys. Thanks for having me on. I Thanks. appreciate love it. Love you too, man. See ya.